Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Welcome to the Along Came a Writer Network. Opinions expressed in our shows do not necessarily reflect those of the network. It is that time again, Geek Blockheads. Put on your triple slippers and settle in for the Geek Block. I'm your host, Carla Hoke. NaNoWriMo November is steadily creeping up on us, and if you don't know what that is, well, stay tuned, and all your questions will be answered, and all your dreams will come true. In preparation for that event, I wanted to bring on somebody who would more than prepare you to get your 50,000 words on the page. That's the goal of NaNoWriMo. If he is, if there is a Jedi Council of Christian speculative fiction, he's on it. He's on it, and he's sitting like in the middle. He, he's he's in a good seat. He's the uh, original founder of March of Lord Press, pure Christian Specific Publishing House, as well as the author or co-author of. Every time I counted, I got a different number. So it's somewhere between fifteen and a hundred. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say a hundred and and even hundred books. He's one of the finest editors out there. He edits on all levels. Um, and he's my favorite writing teacher. And I'm not just saying that because I have him uh, on the phone. He really is. I have taken, if he has an online course, I have taken it. And right now his uh, book, Write Your Novel in a Month, is free for Amazon Prime members. So download it. My guest today is Jedi Jeff Gerke. How are you today, sir? I'm fine, Carla. Thanks for having me on. Okay. How many books have you either written solo or with somebody, because it's an obscene number. Do you, do no, you even no. know? Yeah, well, it is kind of strange, but it's not, it's not 100. No, it's closer to the 15 number. I've, I've done six novels under a pen name, and okay. um, those are now out again under my, my actual name, but when they were traditionally mm-hmm. published, that's how they came out. Uh, I've co-written, I think... Two books, four publishing houses. Those were nonfiction. I've written five nonfiction books for Writer's Digest on how to write fiction. I've ghostwritten um, at least two. I wrote a novel for a client this summer. So, uh, you know, it's closer to 12 to 18, somewhere in there. Boy, you know what, what it must be like to just not really know how many books you've written. I'm going to just <laughs> say that you've written 100. We're just going to go with 100. All right, tell folks how they can find you on the internet. Well, I'm at jeffgerke.com, so that's the best way to do it. My email address is, curiously, jeff at jeffgerke.com. Uh, last name is G-E-R-K-E. Um, you can find me on the on Amazon. I'm not on Facebook right now. I've been on forever, and I'm currently off for two months and actually loving it. <laughs> but uh, you can find me a, a variety of other ways. Okay. You are an editor, among other things. And I don't think people realize 
how many levels of editing there are. Give people an idea of the different type of editing um, processes there are out there. There's line okay. edit, there's copy edit. Give them a quick explanation of what that is. Yeah, the, the difficulty is that people use the same words to mean different yes. things and yeah. different words to mean the same things. And, right. Uh, and so basically there's two main categories of, write, of editing, and I'll explain those and then I'll go into more detail. But um, the first category would be what I would just call editing, and that's where you're working with uh, structurally on the manuscript and you're helping the writer kind of perfect the uh, execution of what the writer's trying to say. That's more structural stuff. Then there's something called copy editing and I would lump proofreading or proofing into that category. And that's more along the lines of um, somebody comes along and notices that you left off a closed quotation mark in one of your dialogue lines or that you, um, you know, changed the name of a character halfway through a book. These are more things like uh, uh, grammar, punctuation, usage, style, anything that might be in that glorious orange book, the Chicago Manual of Style, <laughs> um, is the purview of the copy editor. And so it's very possible to be a very good copy editor and not know how to edit at all, and vice right. versa, it's possible to be a great editor and not be able to copy edit, you know, to the, uh, and that's kind of my situation. I'm, I'm a strong editor, but, and I think I'm pretty good with grammar and punctuation, but no copy editor I've worked with has ever said, you know, Jeff, you're going to put me out of a job. <laughs> they always find something they can, uh, can fix. So uh, first distinguish between editing and copy editing. Now within editing, there's several subcategories there, and that's where the terminology can get really confusing. Oh, let me, let me also mention there's something called copy editing, which I've talked about, but there's something called copywriting, which is completely yes. different and right. has nothing to do with, with copyright. Right. Uh, it has right. to do with writing copy, which is usually right. marketing you know, uh, the, mm -hmm. the back cover blurb and the catalog thing and so forth. So that's copywriting, not to be confused with copy editing. So, but then on the straight editing side, there's different levels um, of intensity and involvement. So um, I do um, uh, kind of a, a thousand foot um, bird's eye view uh, editing service that I call the editorial review and in that, I'll just read the whole manuscript, and I'll give, I'll create a, a separate standalone uh, Word document, and I'll give anywhere from four to twenty pages of feedback, just you know, uh, single-spaced notes, bulleted notes of what I saw, what's working, what's not working, what uh, was confusing, and so forth. It's not extremely detailed, but it's a great, a great resource, and it's. Inexpensive because it takes me, you know, only a week as opposed to some of these right. uh, things that might take me longer. And right. uh, so then moving into a more intensive level from that is, uh, well, I'll talk about terminology. There's something called substantive editing, sometimes also called content editing, uh, right. sometimes also called uh, developmental editing. Right. Uh, and right. uh, as you might uh, conclude that people mean different things 
by that, and that doesn't even include the other one called line editing. Um, right. So I will just so what I've done on JeffGerke.com is I basically say here's what I'm calling things, and here's a paragraph or three of what I will do for that. Right. And the reason I do that um, is, or the specific reason for me is that. I was once hired by a publishing house to do a line edit on a book, on a novel by a well-known author. And I did it. I did a very, very good line edit. And um, then I got an angry email from the publisher saying they were firing me because I had uh, overlooked some commas. Oh, dear heavens. Right. They, <laughs> they meant... They meant line. Uh, they meant copy edit. Right. I. They said line edit. I gave a line edit, right. as most people understand it. They wanted copy edit, and so I was fired for doing what they asked for, but not what they thought they were asking for. So, so there, there's confusion there that can result in right. your ability to make money. You know. So. Right. So, um, so uh, the next level beyond editorial review that I offer is a is a term that I made up. I call it a comprehensive critique, and in that I'm essentially going line by line through your manuscript writing, uh, you know, suggested corrections or changes right in the text with uh, words feature called track changes turned on. Yes, so that my changes I love sh track show changes, up. yeah. Yeah, shows up in color. And it's very mm -hmm. easy to see where I've inserted or rejected yeah. something, I mean, or deleted something. And then I also write a ton of margin comments. Um, you know, this this was confusing because of this, and I think you need a bridge because of this, and wait a minute on this page. She said she would never do this again, and here she is doing it. I think you need to talk about that, whatever. And it's very comprehensive and intensive. And I'm I also think that's doing the most important. I do. I think that's the most important edit, because at the end of the day, I can sit down, and now I'm too lazy to do it. I'm just going to go ahead and say, but you can learn how to do punctuation, okay? It's a hard, fast right. set of rules. But the kind of stuff that you're talking about right now, boy, that makes all the difference. If you've got a great story and, yeah, you've messed up on your commas, people are going to overlook that. But, right. you know, you've got to have the great story. Right. This is where an editor really earns his, his money. Yes. And right. so, you know, this is where I'm looking at big picture things. I'm going, you know what, this character is really functioning as you know performing the service of this other character why don't you combine these two characters or Ooh, you know okay. you've kind of lost your you've kind of lost your yeah. way uh or you know i don't you're you're failing and this is one i'm unfortunately saying a lot you're failing to pass the uh so what test <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I i've lost so track yeah, of, yeah. of why i should keep reading and so, I mean, this is this is really where a professional reader yes. can come in and and give you the objectivity that you've lost, and so that that's really terrific. And um, the way I do it, I'm also polishing the actual the words. I'm fixing punctuation where I see it. If I right. go, okay, this is, you know, you said today I'm going to go to the store today. You know, I'll knock one of those out, and you know, I'll just try right. to uh, polish it. And that is essentially a line edit. A line yeah. edit goes through and polishes the sentences, not to steal the writer's right. voice. There's no right. there's no need to do that. 
and say, oh, you should have written it like this, but more to help the writer do better do what it is she's trying to do and say, okay, I know what you mean here, but you know, uh, this isn't clear. What This sounds like you're saying he's already finished and he hasn't even started. You know, what about something like this? Whatever. And so by the end of a comprehensive critique, I've essentially done what most people call a developmental edit and a line edit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really that's about 80%, 75 to 80% of a full edit, you know, a full right. enchilada edit, which we're not quite at yet. So, you know, when I'm doing a full enchilada edit, it starts with this comprehensive critique slash line edit, where I'm going really slowly through the whole manuscript and doing, I mean, I it's not unusual for me to write in my comments, an additional 10,000 words, 20,000 words of comments for mm-hmm. the author. And so then, then I sent, when I'm doing a full edit, I send that back and the author reads over my notes and my suggested revisions and then decides, you know, which of those he or she is going to do. And, you know, because a lot of times I'll say, you know, I think everything from page 50 on is great, but you're not starting the book in the right place. I'm not engaged. I, I don't, I'm not going to get to page 50 because you haven't engaged me. So, you know, I do a lot of, you know, you better, why, why don't you think about restarting the book? And here's some right. suggestions on what to include. And so they'll go off and, and do that. And then when they send it back to me, if I'm doing a full edit, then I'll do another pass through everything. But it's a quicker pass. It's a lighter pass. And mainly I'm concentrating on the things that the author has changed during revision. The great thing that this is the best thing for me about NaNoWriMo is it's not edit heavy. It's get the words on the page heavy. Explain to folks what NaNoWriMo is. Well, first it stands for something. NaNoWriMo stands for National Novel Novel Writing Month. And it's just an optional fun, hey, we're all doing this. Do you want to do it with us kind of activity that writers all over the nation, all over the world, I guess, use as a kind of personal challenge to, you know, sit your rear in the chair and and crank out these words, as many words as you can on the novel or screenplay or whatever that you're trying to write. The official goal for the NaNoWriMo month program is uh, 50,000 words or more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's free, uh, it's fun, and you're right, you, you don't, you, you just can't put your editor hat on while you're writing. You just have to keep that writer's hat on. Don't worry that it's terrible and, you know, whatever. You can always fix something once it's on the page. Until it's on the page, you have nothing. You just have this blinking cursor saying, loser, loser, right? (laughs) So, but once you have a rough draft, you've got a thing and you can start, you know, fixing it. So NaNoWriMo is great for one of those, you know, don't think about it, don't paralyze yourself, um, just go, 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 and we'll we'll deal with it later. There's a phrase writers use called just vomit it out, and that sounds so awful, but you do, you just get it out and just get it on the page. So when November 1 rolls around, somebody says, you know what, I am going to do it, and they sit down at their desk and the cursor is blinking, what do they do? Do they just start (laughs) writing, or do, do you have a suggested way of going about it? Well, I happened to write a book on this topic, Carla. You do. Um, you did. I did. Yeah, it's called Write Your Novel in a Month, 
And, yes, it is free um, right now for Amazon Prime, folks. If you're Amazon Prime, download that book. It's fantastic. All right, you may continue. Thank you. Right. So <laughs> I, I, it's not it's not really ideal to sit down November one and say, okay, no, it is not. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna start because you don't have anything planned out, and you know some right. writers like to write by the seat of their pants, and they don't want to plan anything out, and so for them that's that's fine. Most writers need to have some idea. Uh, of where they're going to go. And it's not cheating. You know, I mean, uh, who cares if it's cheating or not? The whole thing about NaNoWriMo is um, to get yourself writing right. pages. Right. So, you know, there's no cheating or not cheating as long as you're not plagiarizing. Mm -hmm. But the idea that I use is, okay, let's start from whatever your story idea is, just even if it's a kernel of an idea or a question about a character or something. And then through the book, Write Your Novel in a Month, I give ways to flesh that out and say, okay, well, what kind of genre would you think about for that? And, and what uh, I do character work that you can do. I do lots of work with Myers-Briggs temperaments on your characters. And, um, you know, we can develop three-act structure. We can get all this stuff ready, all the things percolating, right. so that when November 1 happens, you just, now you can sit down and, and go because you've, you know, you lay, you've laid the tracks and it's all stretched out in front of you. It's all, it's all in your head and you can just go. That doesn't mean that you won't have days when you're sitting around going, okay, uh, how am I going to get this next part done? How am I going to get him from here to here? There's always days where you're thinking and, and strategizing, but um, you know, if you sit down on November 1st and haven't done any of the legwork, then you're going to spend the month doing the legwork, and then on November 30th, you're going to go, okay, I'm ready to go. So it's better right. to do the work, uh, you know. And right. if you get the book now, um, you've got time to um, to do it and, it and be ready them, November yeah. 1st. Right, and you basically categorize writers into two categories. What are those categories? I, I do, thank you. Um, yeah, I think that all novelists are either what I call plot-first novelists or character-first novelists. And I, it's usually pretty self-evident what I mean as soon as I say that. Most writers nod their heads. But uh, a character-first novelist is somebody who thinks of characters all day long. You know, oh, I wonder what makes this person tick. And you know, oh, I, I, I heard this person say this, and it just intrigued me. What would go into somebody saying something like that? And what would that person's story be? And those people come up with really brilliant characters and usually beautiful dialogue yeah. and just, you know, very rich characters who are differentiated right. from one another, realistic and all this. And the problem with them is sometimes they kind of don't know what to have these interesting characters do. Right. You know, their their plot part is usually not as well developed as their character part. And then the plot first novelist is the opposite. You know, that person has story ideas all day long. All oh, the aliens are probably going to come here and they'll steal the cows first because what they're going to do is, you know, whatever. And the, yeah. you have these story <laughs> ideas, but your character ideas are usually really weak. You know, they're stereotypes. It's the surfer or the Mexican or, you know, whatever. Um, right. And... Uh, or they're stereotypes, or they're uh, they're all sound like you. They all sound like the author. They're all very shallow. They're interchangeable. You could change their. You could accidentally mix their names up, and no one would know the difference because they're all the same. Right. So you know the plot first guy needs character work, and the character first person needs plot 
work. I happen to write a book on that too. It's called Plot versus You character. do. It's amazing. <laughs> and folks, if you don't get what we mean by how, you know, they concentrate on one thing and the other thing falls flat. If you've ever gone to a movie and you've left and you just laugh about the characters and the mannerisms and the things I, I'm Medea. I think about Medea. Yeah. She is a brilliant character. If you're thinking about characters, you know, it may be because the plot wasn't that tight. Or if you walk away yeah. from a movie and you remember the whole story, tell me another person other than Katniss. And people go, right. uh, yeah, <laughs> fantastic storyline. But sometimes the characters can fall a little bit flat. You mentioned this. Why should, why not? Why don't, you know, if you're an author, why not just the base, the, the main character on yourself? Why do you suggest not doing that? Because it seems so easy. I'll just make them do whatever I would do. Right. And I mean, essentially, we're all going to do that to some degree. To some degree, right. I think, yeah, I think the danger in writing yourself as the main character is that each of us behaves in ways that are kind of random and are not really consistent. And the, the whole, you know, magic of fiction is that we take the complexity of reality and our real world and our real lives and we kind of boil it down and put a focus on it and a theme on it. And we surface the things that contribute to that theme and focus and we delete the things that don't. And it becomes kind of a manufactured and artificial view of reality, but it's one that allows us to concentrate on certain aspects. And people are the same way. You know, we've got so many uh, contradictory aspects to ourselves that once you start writing realistically about yourself, uh, on mm -hmm. a, as a character, then you as a character mm -hmm. start appearing inconsistent. And the reader's right. going, no, wait a minute. You know, on this page, you're like this. And on this page, you're totally different. And that right. may be true because for you as a real human, but for characters, we look for kind of a, an organizing principle. And so, you know, that's one reason I love the Myers-Briggs temperament stuff. I'm yeah. a plot first guy. So characters, you know, I they don't too. make sense mm -hmm. to me. You know, I just. No. Uh, Why do we right. even need characters? Just tell right, the right, story. Right. I mean, as long as, as long as the girlfriend. Yes. <laughs> as long as the girlfriend is next to the truck when it blows up, we're all good. Exactly. You know, so uh, in order to create realistic people, I needed help. And the Myers-Briggs thing is wonderful because it, you know, it gives 16 characters, 16 varieties of human. And, you know, you might say, well, that's only 16 people. Well, you know, my characters before were all versions of me. So 16 right. is a lot better than just one. So right. uh, and then w if I write a temperament that's from the Myers-Briggs, then I kind of stick with what uh, the book or the website says about that character, especially if I don't if I'm not this temperament. Um, then I rely on the book and things seem more consistent. Whereas if I'm writing myself or even if I'm writing a character who's my temperament, then I tend to not pay attention to the definition. I tend to kind of go off the rails and uh, that's when then uh, readers can feel like your, your characters are inconsistent. So we're all going to do it, uh, you know, to some degree, but for your first you know, a couple of books, your first couple of main characters, I would recommend that you write somebody who's different from you and uh, base it on some kind of uh, definition and parameters like you would find in a temperaments book.
I love the temperament thing too, because you can think, okay, I'm not really sure what my character would do in this position. Well, go look. And if, when, yeah. if you've never done a Myers-Briggs, the very first letter is either an I or an E as an introvert or extrovert. That does not mean the person is shy or not shy. I think sometimes people have I first characters and they make them, you know, kind of, um, well, you know, they don't Healthy. talk. They're quite, I'm right. an I, are you an, I'm extreme introvert. I'm not shy. I would, th I think you're a little bit of an introvert. Are you? Oh, I'm definitely an I. Yeah. Yeah. It's just how you read. This is how I've read it. And I think this is a good explanation. It's not my words. It's how your character refuels themselves. If your yeah, character right. gets charged by being around other people, then they're an extrovert. If they have yeah. to get alone, like if we're at a writing convention, Jeff, and I'm around people all day, I'm so tired at the end of the day. Yeah. I have to get away. I do. I need a sign that says, okay, back away. It's time. Right. <laughs> so no, yeah. So know what, what an introvert and an extrovert is. Okay. You mentioned three act structure. So somebody has got their character down. They know their Myers-Briggs. This is something else you've mentioned. You need to be able to write a page of dialogue and know exactly which character is speaking. That is, that is super smart. Didn't you say that? I did. Right? Are you going to ask me about three-act structure or what? Yes, yes, Which yes. Which one are you asking I'm, I'm, me about? Three-act structure, three-act <laughs> structure, three-act structure. Go. What is it? Okay. Well, three-act structure. Okay. So three-act structure is just a way of organizing any story. And um, so, you know, even jokes are have three-act structure. You have the opening line, you know, guy walks into a bar and... And then you have the middle where you're kind of setting everything up and then you have the punchline where you end it. So novels are the same way. You know, you have set up to, you're introducing characters, you're setting up the situation, you're setting up the plot, you're putting things in motion. But really the heart of your story is what's happening in the middle. It's act two. And so that's, you know, when Indiana Jones is chasing after the Ark. It's when our guys are trying to kill the great white shark. It's where, right. uh, you know, our heroes are trying to escape the Death Star. This is the heart of the story. It's where the main action happens. Everything You, you couldn't do that on page one or the first minute of your movie. No. You had right. all these things you had to set up. So the setup is act one. Act two is the fun and the middle and the heart of your story. And then act three brings it all to a head and then finishes it. That's a quick explanation of three X structure. And how do you do you suggest that people just kind of chart that out on a piece of paper? Well, I do. But, you know, you have to find your own way. Um, it's possible to over uh, outline and it's yes, possible to it under is. outline. And every yes, person has has his or her own place on that continuum. I once used to be an, an uber outliner, and then I realized that you can outline so much that you've actually stolen all the joy out of writing because you've mm -hmm. made all the discoveries, you've had all the fun ideas, and they're all sitting there on a spreadsheet or something, and all that's mm -hmm. left is the boring grunt work of writing out long scenes and making these discoveries happen, and you know, so now I don't do that anymore. Now I just kind of get as much as I need to know where I'm going, I'll do three-act structure, I'll do that sort of thing, but then I leave a lot of the specifics up to my discovery and I'll get to a point and go, okay, I need somebody to do this, and I had thought it was gonna be this guy, but now I've put him over here and he's in the hospital, you know, but I still need somebody to do it. So, so I, I have a balance of where I need to go, but then also allowing the freedom and the discovery of how I'm gonna make it happen. Okay, so you get your 50,000 words on the page. By the way, I looked up some books that are 50,000 words or less. 
Slaughterhouse Five, Fahrenheit 451, Great Gatsby, Old Yeller, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and The Outsiders. That that just saying that book makes my heart warm. These are all fifty thousand right. words or less, which of course means they well, were easy to write. No, it doesn't. You could go even shorter than that and think of uh, massively impactful stories like A Christmas Carol, which is the Scrooge exactly. story. Exactly. Uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. You know, That's all of right. these are, you know, short stories and, and so forth. So, yeah, yeah, there's okay, a so lot of goodness that can happen in 50,000 yes. words or fewer. Or fewer. And it is a shame because if you go sit down and this is just me on my soapbox. It's a little one. You sit down in front of a publisher and you say, oh, well, it's 50,000 words. They're going to kind of push it back to you and tell you to fatten it up. But that's just me. I don't think you should have to. When the masterpiece is done, it's done. That's how I feel which is why my house is a mess all the time. Okay, when you edit, okay, so you've got your 50,000 words on the page. You're like, okay, now I'm gonna edit. How do you keep yourself from rewriting the thing again? I find myself getting in that loop where I'm just rewriting chapter one 10 times. Do you suggest, hey, if you wanna keep writing it, keep going, or do you say, okay, enough is enough? Well, again, every writer is gonna be different. You have to find a place that is not dysfunctional for yourself. But, you know, so I guess that's, that's the end of that sentence. You have to find a place that's not dysfunctional. So if you're rewriting because you're like, you've got these existential fears of your own self-worth and things like that, and you're afraid of what people are going to think of you, and then you're going to rewrite and rewrite for wrong reasons. You know, and at that point, I would just, you know, let the rough draft go. But other people find that they haven't really hit their stride. I have a novelist friend who writes her books three times over every time. And right. I, that would just drive me insane. Uh, you know, the way I do it is I just write it once. Um, I tend to start one day's writing by looking over yesterday's writing, the previous day's writing, and doing a little right. bit of a polish, and also to get me back in that headspace. But I don't, I don't typically do major rewrites. What I'll do is, once I'm going through, I'll start realizing that I need to go back and fix some things. And but I don't want to do it now. I want to go ahead and finish the thing. And I so by the end, I've got this list created that I've just put on another Word document of, you know, nine things that I need to go back and do. And I'll go oh, back okay. and do those. And when I've done them, um, you know, after I've hit the end, I'll go back to the rough draft and, and do those nine things. And when I've done those, I will I'll maybe read the opening paragraph or opening chapter again, just to do a quick polish. But um, by, you know, the end of that process, my first draft, I consider it done and I'm ready to, to show it. You know, Kathy Tires, I, I'm pretty sure she said she writes all of her books about six or seven times for real. Yeah. And she's, but yeah. she's awesome and she's perfect in every way. Okay. Here, here's another thing that I see people running into. And I know I've run into this as well. What do you do when you realize you have too much dialogue? How do you convert that dialogue to what what is the opposite of dialogue what 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 would you say what is the opposite of that but do you know I what i mean Were you no i would say i've never seen a novel that had too much dialogue really um dialogue yeah i mean that doesn't bother you if, it doesn't bother you when there's just dialogue after dialogue you, that doesn't bother you as a reader no i mean i mean okay. i did read a writer's digest craft book years and years ago on dialogue that was written as okay. a dialogue the entire thing was spoken <laughs> words and it, it was absolutely exhausting and so yes I, I know it's possible to do that i don't think i've ever encountered one 
where okay. I thought there was too much dialogue. Usually authors err on the side of too much summary. And I'm always telling okay. them to break it into a dialogue scene to make this information come out in a realistic way. And if you think about screenplays, they are all dialogue um, in terms of what the writer actually writes. Everything else is little almost parenthetical comments about, you know, who's there and where they are and what they're wearing. But um, right. the the focus is on the dialogue. So, um, but I guess if you felt like you had too much dialogue and other people were getting, feeling like it was tiresome, then, um, I don't know, maybe insert more beats. Uh, beats right. are text that kind of uh, describe the location and describe what the actors, the characters are doing on stage, uh, go into some more internal monologue of thoughts, um, cut away to pure description moments. But no, I, I would be curious to see a book that had too much dialogue. Well, I, well, I'm not going to change it. You said my dialogue was fine, and so I'm going to leave it. But, you know, you mentioned Good. something a minute ago where people do summaries and they say what people are wearing and all that kind of stuff. That is showing versus telling, and that's a problem. I've, Tell the difference in showing and telling. Showing and telling. Well, different people have different definitions. Uh, mine has the distinctiveness of being easy to understand, so you can go with my definition. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Um. Telling is when you simply say on the page, um, John was a jerk. Right. You know, that, that really has no impact on the reader. The reader's like, well, whatever, you know, that, that it has no impact. But if you show John coming home and, you know, tromping his muddy boots across the white carpet and, you know, kicking the dog and uh, the the toddler comes running toward him, daddy, daddy, and he palms the kid on the head and knocks him on his diapers <laughs> and, you know, sits down on right. the on the couch, turns on the, the, the NASCAR game and sticks his boots up right. on the coffee table and says, woman, where's my beer? Then right. the reader feels it. And the reader's like, man, John was a jerk. Right. And that's the right. difference between showing and or between telling and showing. Showing makes you feel it. Telling makes you not feel it. And telling is very um, accurate and very right. uh, concise. And you can explain a person's entire backstory in a paragraph. But you've stopped the story. Nothing interesting is happening on stage and you're boring your reader, whereas it takes more words and it's a broader brush to show those things, to illustrate them, to act them out. But they're much more impactful on the reader. Um, and so I, I mean, I'm kind of a purist when it comes to show versus tell. I'm almost no telling and I'm right. all showing. So, but that's, that's but, just me. And again, you have to find your place and readers don't mind right. as much as those of us who, you know, study this stuff. And so, right. you know, if but you're you know, publishing, maybe you don't worry about it as much. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you follow the one hard and fast rule, keep the reader turning the pages, keep the reader interested. You know, there are people that break these rules. And I think of um, Gone Girl. Gone Girl is uh, told, you read excerpts from her diary. So she's wow. telling. And the whole time I was reading the book, I'm like, she's telling, she's telling. But boy, I kept turning the pages. I kept turning right. the pages. So if my you are going to break those, yeah, keep going. Well, my way of saying, um, you know, keep the reader engaged, that's the positive right. 
way of saying it, keep your reader engaged from beginning to end. My negative way of saying it is don't be boring. Right, right. And, you know, showing versus telling, um, I, when I taught, I would hear my students, you know, cussing in the hallway. And I came in one day and I said, look, you don't understand. You're not telling me very much when you say that she's the son of a you know what, because your idea of that is going to be different than my idea of that. You know, you saying somebody's a jerk, you have a different vision than what I see. So when you get more specific about what they're doing, it tells you, okay, this is the kind of jerk I'm talking about. Yeah, right. So the that, that's <laughs> right. This particular flavor. Okay, are you okay going about eight more minutes? Are you okay with that? Are you all right on sure. time? Okay, sure. great. Okay, last but not least. When you are going back through your 50,000 words, be sure you are good and tight on your point of view. Explain to folks what a point of view is. You don't have to tell all the different point types, just in a nutshell. No, no. Just in a nutshell, That's what is fine. it? Modern fiction uh, is told through the eyes of a viewpoint character. Uh, right. we, I call it picking a head. You, you pick a head, you get inside the head of one character in your scene, and you see the scene through that person's eyes. And so as a reader, we have access to that one person's thoughts, uh, memories, and senses, you know, what he, he or she sees, hears, tastes, whatever. And uh, so I picture it as uh, people writing in a submarine that has no windows or no monitors. And um, there's a story going on uh, above the surface of the ocean. And the only way that those people down there are going to find out what's going on is to use a periscope, to stick the periscope up, and the periscope looks around and sees what's happening. And that's a viewpoint character. That's, uh, we're in that head. We can only see what the periscope can see. Uh, for instance, we can't see that the sun is reflecting off the lens of the periscope periscope can't see itself uh, and so uh, you know we're restricted to what we can gain by looking through that periscope lens so you know you pick a head in a scene and you give us that periscope's view and you can you know change the scene and change your your viewpoint characters but uh, it's not usually done in modern fiction to be able to jump around into multiple people's heads uh, in the middle of a scene, you know, we learn right. what Jimmy feels and we learn learn what Jenny feels and we learn what Mary feels and what they're all thinking. And right. that's called omniscient point of view. And it was done with Dickens and, you know, the classics, it's but tricky. it's not typically done in, in, in modern right. fiction. I have a problem when you know the point of view and this person walks into the room and they know names of people they've never been introduced to. I would right. think that's that is slipping out. Of, so go ahead. That's a point of view error. That's right. There's no way that, so that person could know. Well, right. and it's and so I, hard because it's a discipline for the writer because the writer knows everybody's names. Right. And the reader might even know, um, you know, who that person is, but the character right. doesn't know. And so you right. have to restrict yourself to what that person knows. Right. Exactly. Oh, okay. Well, time, she is just about up. Okay. Tell us um, again where we can find you online. Okay, jeffgerkey.com. Jeffgerkey.com. And to prepare for NaNoWriMo, what is a great book for them to buy, Jeff? Or get it free on Amazon Prime. That's right. Write your novel in a month. It's a writer's it is, And it really is a fantastic book. I, for real. It really is a great book. Okay, are you ready for some rapid-fire questions? I am. 
Okay, worst to sit next to on a transcontinental flight, Trump, Clinton, or Jar Jar Banks? Oh, I like Jar Jar. I hate like, him. You know how much I hate him. Well, you ask. Uh, oh my goodness. Um, I think I think all three all three of those would be fascinating. I mean, uh, I mean, and it's funny. Jar Jar does kind of rank at the same level of interestingness <laughs> with those others. But you know, what? Uh, no, I would be happy with any of them. Okay. All right. Well, you know what. What somebody has people have pitched a fit about Hillary Clinton, and I'm not saying who I'm voting for here. How she called Trump supporters a basket of deplorables. As a writer, I have laughed my head off at that. That is such a clever line. I wish I had. Isn't it a great word picture? (laughs) It's a great line. Okay. It is. Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Yes or no? That's the most recent one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yes, I knew that. Yes, um, I thought. Yeah, it was I, I yeah. say, I say yes, uh, a qualified yes, but yes because I think it's setting up some real fun things that too. we can do now that they did this handoff right. and bridge. So yeah, I, right, I like it. I mean, it's, right. I mean, Both. it's probably like fourth favorite out of the seven. Me too. Uh, for me, I, but, I thought the same yeah. thing. Folks, if you don't know, Jeff has a background in film. That's why I tend to ask him film questions. Okay, Yoda, <laughs> puppet, or CGI? You know, I just finished watching a documentary on on episode two where they did the very first fully um, 3D CGI uh, Yoda, including the fighting and so forth. And it's funny, they, they realized that they could make Yoda too perfect uh, and and it didn't look right. He so they made him as a CGI character more like a puppet, uh, so that huh. he looked right. They did the shaking of the ears, and they did the right. movement of the hand, <laughs> the movement that. of the hand within the head, and everything. Uh-huh. So uh, I I I like Yoda as a CGI character done as a puppet. Done as a puppet. So I, I'm I'm <laughs> gonna say puppet. I'm gonna say puppet. Okay, worse right. neighbors, worse neighbors, orcs, zombies, or the apes from Planet of the Apes. Oh wow. It's a condescending bunch of apes. That's a tough one. They are really apes that make you feel stupid. No, well I think I think I would pick apes above the other two because the Me other too. two are probably going to eat you. Um, yeah, I'd so rather feel least, stupid every least, day than dead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, last but not least, worse superpower. Superhuman strength only when dressed as a woman or the ability. I got to laugh thinking about you dressed as a woman or the ability to stop criminals only by spraying them like a skunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is this for me. I mean, because a female. You personally. Is- oh, OK, OK. Um, yeah, the spraying would be kind of awkward. You have to run up. Oh, and, like, Jeff, back- I see you in a prairie dress. Me. I just well, see you I in could a do it. I've, <laughs> I've done I've done a mock book cover of me as an Amish woman, so uh, I think you would rock the Amish, Amish look. Woman, so. Yeah, yeah. So I okay, so we're going dressed as a the, woman. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, that's the best one, but the worst one is spraying like a skunk. I, you know, I think you have to have a special kind of outfit for that situation. <laughs> that's a deli. Okay, that is it for you, sir. You are off the hook with me. I promise. Thank you for joining us today. Hands down, you're one of my favorite guests. Thank you so oh, much, thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Carla. Very much fun. You are 
You are dismissed, good sir. That's it for us on the Geek Block. I'm your host, Carla Hope. Check out my blog on FightRight, F-I-G-H-T-W-R-I-T-E.net. And if you'd like to contract me to critique your fight scenes, contact me through FightRight or through Quinpet. Quill Pen Editorial. Easy for you to say. QuillPenEditorial.com. That is it. Tune in next month. And folks, get ready for Nano and Rymo. Now is the time to prepare. Get right your novel in a month, free on Amazon Prime, and get ready so that November 1, you are ready to bust it. That's it for me. Have a blessed day and stay weird. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.